We are continuing in our sermon series called Listen. Um, this season after Epiphany, um, and Epiphany is kind of a churchy word you don't hear very often, but if you think, uh, again, just a reminder of the, the church, kind of the church calendar, Advent started at the end of November, kind of an expectation of Christmas, um, an expectation that God's chosen one was going to come and, and arrive, and, and in that arrival, fulfill all the promises, right? And so that's what the celebration of Christmas was. And there's this moment after Christmas where we say, well, Jesus is here, now, now what do we do with him? Um, and that's kind of the season of Epiphany, is like, now what do we do with him? And, and one of the things <clears throat> that uh, I've come to the conclusion uh, that we should do with Jesus is, uh, is listen uh, to him. <clears throat> and so that's what we're, we're doing this, this season after Epiphany, or season of Epiphany, depending on how you want to do it, is, is how do we listen um, to what this uh, chosen king has not only to say to us, but what does he want for us and from us? Um, before we get into today's scripture, though, I, I want to share just a, a little story from uh, my first couple of weeks here in Battle Creek. Um, Susie read the, um, the statement there uh, about my review and renewal um, that was supposed to happen last fall, um, right around my two-year anniversary here. Um, our DS had a, an accident and couldn't actually, the day of my review, and, and fell and couldn't make it and has been on a journey uh, of health since then, and so we were finally able to have the review. But when I first got to Battle Creek, uh, one of the things I needed to do was to get a haircut. Um, As so happens, it's not a very exciting thing, not a very glamorous thing, but so I just went to the the Great Clips over um, by the mire. I didn't know my way around town. I didn't really know what, so I went to the first place I saw, and while I was there, you know, the, the stylist always has those small talk type questions, Um, you know, what are you up to today, you know, don't you work, like what are you doing at 11 o'clock on a, you know, Friday afternoon or whatever, you know, Um, and I said, well, you know, we just moved to Battle Creek and I'm still finding my way around and stuff, and when she heard that I had just moved to Battle Creek, she kind of paused, stopped cutting my hair for sure, and she said, why, why would you move to Battle Creek, and she spent the next five minutes or so, um, telling me everything that was wrong from her perspective with Battle Creek. Um, she was somebody that had grown up here, went to school here, worked here a couple different places. Um, but from her perspective, there's a lot wrong with the city of Battle Creek and was wondering what would prompt somebody to show up. And so I left that, that haircut. We're just going to hit pause on that story for a moment. We'll come back to the stylist in a few minutes, but I'm um, going to hit pause on that because I left that, that conversation and uh, I had done some research on the city before I moved my family, before we moved our family here, um, but I, I want to show you some of the things that I, I ran across after that conversation. Like I got online, I googled Battle Creek, um, and there's, there's websites, I don't know if you know this, there's websites that like rate cities that help you try and figure out if you want to move there or not. And so I just want to share some slides of things that I found that kind of matched what this stylist was saying as I was sitting in her chair with sharp objects uh, close to my head. Um, so if you want to put the first slide up there, Evie, um, I don't know if you can see that from there, but this is, uh, they gave the city three stars. Um, this is a, re- a review from a, a website called Niche, I think, or Niche, maybe. Um, three stars for Battle Creek. It says, the city is dying, good jobs are hard to find, schools are okay, 
Housing is cheap, apartments are expensive, the city life doesn't offer much. That was a review from June 29th, 2021. Um, next one there, Evie. Uh, this one says three stars as well. I've lived in Battle Creek most of my life. I see a lot of changes over the years. Crime has spiked, and it seems like things are getting worse for the middle class. Growing up, we used to be able to keep our doors unlocked even at night. Now I would not dare to. I lock them even while sitting on the couch. Um, that's not good. Uh, next one, Evie. Overall, the city, oh, three stars again. The city is quite lively. Uh, there's not much to do, which I don't think they know what lively means. But, uh, and many businesses have closed since I've lived here. There's an effort being put forth by others that live here to keep the city lively, but it's not enough, in my opinion. Small businesses are dying off, places to see, and activities are dying off, and people are leaving. I think I have one more. There's one more. But the, the second one's a duplicate, I think. Um, I figured I'd just throw a one star in there just for the fun of it. Uh, horrible. Uh, worst city I ever lived in. Uh, you cannot walk anywhere in the city, limits without litter, broken glass, and broken people. Um, this is kind of the, uh, the comments that this hairstylist was, was feeding me as I was a new Battle Creek resident. She was just confused why anybody would move into the city because, you know, this is the type of perspective um, she had on things at first brush. Um, I'm going to ask you to just kind of keep that in the, in the back of your mind uh, for a second. Can you do that? Can you hit pause on Battle Creek for a moment? We're just going to jump into the, the scriptures for a minute, and I, I promise it'll all come back together. Um, but keep in mind the perspective of the stylist and the perspective of these online um, reviews or, or commentaries. Um, our scripture today comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 2. It's a continuation of what we've been the last several weeks. Um, we're going to read uh, a lot of scripture. Apparently, it's a lot of scripture Sunday. I had Will read a whole bunch, and um, uh, now I'm going to read quite a bit as well. Uh, it'll be on the screen, or you can follow along um, however you would like. It says, And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with the demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or the, the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that, has, that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, when no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. What we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, 
so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Uh, Pray with me, if you will. Heavenly Father, O Spirit that is present with us, We pray that you would gather our minds, that we may be one with you. Open our ears, that we may hear your word. Soften our hearts, they may receive your wisdom. Speak to us, for we, your servants, are listening. Amen. Amen. So, that was a lot of scripture. Uh, And it's kind of amusing to me, maybe a little bit ironic, that the Apostle Paul starts this passage of Scripture by saying, I don't come with big words, I don't come with a complicated message, and then it seems kind of big words and complicated. I mean, if you read through it, it's not easy reading. There's, there's a lot of like, theological things happening behind here. He's pulling in Scriptures from the Old Testament and referring to uh, theological concepts that take a little bit of nuance to understand. Um, but he says, he says I, I haven't come uh, using the wisdom of the world um, but like as we, we jump into this scripture, I want to recap just where we've been the last few weeks. So this is part of a letter to the church in Corinth, right? And Corinth is a, is a, is a city um, that has been influenced, uh, shaped by Greek and now Roman culture. Um, and in this church, there's conflicts based upon which leaders people wanted to follow besides Jesus. Um, they're kind of forming little parties, in, in there, who do they follow? <coughs> and, and if you remember a few weeks ago, you'll, you might recall that they were choosing who to follow based off of cultural values, not Christian ones, and that was creating conflict and division. But the city in which the church was found uh, was known for debates and shows of wisdom, right, and rhetorical skill, uh, charismatic personalities, those, these, these public debates in which... Um, people tried to win over the crowd. And underneath that was this idea that worldly wisdom would lead to life, and worldly wisdom would lead to truth and, and, and flourishing. That things would be better off if we could get the most true wisdom revealed. Um, but the Apostle Paul has been writing to say godly wisdom is radically different than worldly wisdom. So no amount of these debates, no amount of Rhetoric is going to get you to the wisdom of God. Um, Because God's wisdom and power is revealed in the cross and the crucified Christ, which is the crucified king, the anointed king that God sent. And so no amount of worldly wisdom was going to come up with the idea that like your your ruler should go and die. There's there's no exercise, mental exercise, that's going to come to that conclusion. Only God reveals wisdom and power in the crucifixion. God is not only present and working in the most impressive places in the world, 
God is not only at work when things are going great, but God is present and working in the hard and difficult places too. Like when an innocent man is being crucified. The cross looks like the worst thing that could happen to the world, and yet that is how God brought healing and salvation to the world. And so that's all where we've been the last few weeks, and, and that brings us to where we are today. Um, <clears throat> it's kind of a continuation. He says, because the power of the cross, because the wisdom of the cross is, is not revealed through worldly wisdom, um, the Apostle Paul didn't come to Corinth to impress or persuade anybody. He didn't come using the tools of the world to convince them, to persuade them, to follow him. Paul says he came humbly so that if they responded to him and responded to his message, it would be the message of the cross that won them over and not his personality, his rhetorical skill, or his fancy words. He wanted to make sure that they understood that they were responding to Jesus and the cross and to nothing else. But he also wanted to make sure that as he was doing that, that it wasn't an absence of wisdom that was being presented. Well, he wasn't appealing using worldly wisdom, it wasn't an absence of wisdom. There was a godly wisdom that was present behind all of this. But here in our scripture today, he says this wisdom has been a mystery. It's been hidden. Um, no eye has seen, nor ear has heard. Oh, man. <coughs> Excuse me. That came out of nowhere. Um, this mystery, this, this, this hidden wisdom... That for all of human history, people have been searching and, and working and trying to get to truth and wisdom, and, and, and they have not arrived at the wisdom of God. Even the wisest rulers of the world couldn't uncover the mystery that was hidden, this mystery that is the wisdom of God, right? because it's the cross that reveals this wisdom. And so this hidden wisdom, this mystery of God's wisdom has been revealed to the church by the Spirit, See, this is a significant moment uh, in, in Paul's letter. He's saying the, the wisest people in all the world have not been able to comprehend the wisdom of God. And then through a quick little logical step of, of the Spirit knows God's mind, and we've received the Spirit, so you have received this wisdom through the Spirit. This is a big deal. Only a person can know their own thoughts, he says. Only the Spirit can understand the wisdom of God. And that Spirit, that very nature of God, has been sent to the church. The Apostle Paul says they didn't receive the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit of God. And those without the Spirit that came from God cannot understand the power and wisdom of God. Right? For who can know the mind of God, he says. So do you understand what's happening here is, is, he says, the wisest people in all the world cannot know what God is up to, but only the Spirit can reveal it. And you, as the church in Corinth, he is saying, has received that Spirit. So the wisest in the world cannot understand with the wisdom that you, the church in Corinth, possesses now. For who can know the mind of God? And Paul says, the church can. For we have the mind of God. For we have the mind of Christ. Right. So that's kind of, it, it, you could dig into those 16 verses a lot deeper. You could spend a lot of time studying that. But for, for this morning, that's kind of the, 
the main idea of that, of that passage. <coughs> the, I would sum it up by saying this, having the mind of Christ is not the end. It's not the goal. It's not the finish line. Oh, we've got it. We've received the mind of Christ. It's not a gift. It's not a, a, an award that we can put on our display case and celebrate that we've got it. Oh, we've got the mind of Christ. It's not the finish line. It's not the, the, the badge that we wear on our, our, our collar, you know, on our, our shoulder. It's not, it's not the prize that ends things. It's the beginning line. It's the starting point. It's the, the tool. <clears throat> having the mind of Christ means having the ability to understand and interpret God's mission and work in the world. Um, having the mind of Christ means being able to look at the world around us and rather than see that world around us through the eyes of worldly wisdom, we're able to see it <clears throat> through the eyes of this now revealed godly wisdom. We're able to see the world around us with a different lens, a different filter than what the rest of the world does. It means understanding that God is telling a different story than the one the world is telling. <coughs> Having the mind of Christ <clears throat> means being able to employ the values that God has rather than the values of the world. Having the mind of Christ means being able to operate with a completely different set of goals a different definition of what success is, a different purpose for our time on earth than what the world is. Right? Are we, are we tracking? Having the mind of Christ gives us a completely different way of seeing life. It means seeing the cross. It means seeing God at work. It means seeing the city of Battle Creek and seeing God at work. So back to my haircut for a moment. The stylist told me all these terrible things about the city that I had just moved to with my family. And she asked me why I moved here. <laughs> and I told her I came to pastor a church. And when I said that, she stopped. She stopped cutting my hair, like just, and walked away from, you know, they got the chairs and the spinning around. She just walked away. And I didn't, you know, I could see in the mirror that she was going somewhere. I had no idea where she went. She went back to her little cubby or cabinet or whatever, she keeps her personal stuff. And she got her phone out and a piece of paper. And she came back to the counter in front of me and started writing stuff down. <clears throat> it had a phone number, it had a name. And she started talking to me about what she was doing. She spent the next 10 minutes not cutting my hair, but telling me about this group, this organization in the city that works to help uh, homeless people. She was really excited that there was this group of people. She didn't work with them. She didn't know them all that well, but she thought it was great that somebody in the city was doing this. They were helping people that didn't have homes, that didn't have a consistent meal, that couldn't find shelter when they needed it. As she was explaining all this, again, still not cutting my hair, she's saying that she didn't really go to church. It wasn't really her thing. Um, but as a pastor, my church needed to know about this group that is helping people in the city. She was so excited to share how these people were making a difference in the city. How, yeah, there was all these problems that she just listed off, but there was a group of people in the city that was trying to help and address some of those problems. And she said, I needed to know about them. 
Honestly, at that point, I wasn't sure if I was ever going to get the rest of my hair cut. But this lady who was cutting my hair had, a, had very little experience in a church. She wasn't actively participating in a church. Um, really didn't have a developed theology, per se. Um, but she knew something that I think many Christians too often forget. That having the mind of Christ should cause us to engage the world around us in the same way that Jesus did. The Battle Creek should look more like the kingdom of God because First Church gathers here. So what was the dramatic shift for this hairstylist in our conversation? When she found out that I was a pastor, she had an expectation that a church should have a different role in the community than, than other things. When she found out that I was a pastor and that I was part of a church, she said, hey, there's these people that are making a difference. They're helping our community. And you as a pastor and part of a church should probably get involved with that. She looked at the world around us and said, oh, the Jesus people are here. They will want to help us. Having the mind of Christ should cause us to engage the world around us in the same way that Jesus did. Battle Creek should look more like the kingdom of God because First Church gathers here. We can put the, the next slide up, Evie. Having the mind of Christ means understanding that Jesus viewed those around him as people who needed saving and healing and understanding that he calls his followers to do the same. So when Jesus was walking the earth and he encountered people, he encountered sinners and, and sick people and all kinds of things, religiously pious, and all, he encountered everybody, and he walked around and viewed them through the lens that he had that said these people need healing, they need salvation, and they need redemption. And if we have received that mind, if we've been given that lens through which Jesus viewed the world, then we also understand that the people we encounter, run into, need healing, redemption, and salvation. Having the mind of Christ means understanding that Jesus viewed the people he encountered as people who needed healing and saving, but he also wanted his followers to do the same. We're going to bounce around in Scripture for just a moment. Um, you don't need to turn there. You can just follow with me. For some, it'll be familiar. <clears throat> There's an Old Testament prophet named Jeremiah who's writing to a group of people that are being forced out of the holy land, the promised land. They're being forced to live someplace they didn't want to live in a community that doesn't worship the way that they worship and all of that. <coughs> Church word for it is exile. And he writes to this group in chapter 29 of the book of Jeremiah. Uh, some of you might know verse 11, right? I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm, give you hope in the future. That's 29.11. I'm going to go just a couple verses before that. Uh, verse 7 and 8 says this. So right before he says, I know the plans I have for you, he says this. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. And so the mind of Christ sounds a little bit like Jeremiah's command to the exiles. The mind of Christ means that we can understand that God is at work even in the places we think are hopeless. 
These exiles went into this foreign land feeling defeated, feeling far away from their temple, far away from their land that God promised them, far away from God himself. And the word of Jeremiah says, oh, God's at work here. And as you work and are faithful to God, even in this hopeless situation, you will prosper as well. The mind of Christ means we can understand that God is at work in the places that the world thinks is hopeless. It means that we can understand God's mission in the world. There's this narrative going around, uh, even in church cultures, maybe even especially in church culture, that the world is just going to get worse and worse and worse until God ends it all. We should do our best to, (coughs) pulling on another image from the Old Testament, uh, get on the ark and close up the door behind us and escape uh, this place that's doomed to be destroyed. Um, But I want to share with you, again, another scripture. Uh, You're getting your money's worth today. The book of Revelation, chapter 21, so right near the end of the story, the author of Revelation says this. It's a vision. It says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. God is not against the world. The mind of Christ gives us the ability to see how God is already at work making things new. God is at work for the sake of the world. For God so loved the world, right? (laughs) We're familiar with that text. Love is not just a feeling, it's willfully desiring the good of the other. It's willfully desiring the good of other people. God is working for the people in Battle Creek. He's doing things on their behalf for their sake because as he looks through his lens, his eyes, through the mind of God, through the mind of Christ, he sees people that need healing, redemption, and salvation. And so God is working for the people. God is working in the people of Battle Creek. I really believe... um, that one of the greatest challenges that the church has faced um, has been the result of an us versus them mentality. Um, It's led to a failure of discipleship in the church. Um, We've been using worldly wisdom, worldly filters to look at the world around us. We've been evaluating things based off of uh, worldly values. And so... When we, as a church, not just first church, but like church culture, looks and sees the broken and dark places in the world, oftentimes we don't see God at work in the lives of the people found there. Instead of seeing God working in, in, the, in these people's lives, working in these hard, dark situations, working to bring redemption, healing, and salvation, instead of seeing God working in those dark places the same way that God has worked in our lives, We see people who are not us. We see them. 
And when the church starts seeing them as something to be avoided, defeated, or afraid of, we lose the ability to see them how Jesus saw them. Again, Jesus didn't approve of everything he encountered, but also that was kind of the point. He saw people and said, oh man, these are people that are lost the way. These people are, are, have been infected by the sin of sickness that leads to death, that leads away from God. He says, these are people who need healing, salvation, and redemption. And so we can go back to the slide that was up a minute ago. It says, having the mind of Christ means understanding that Jesus viewed those people around him as people who needed saving and healing and understanding that God or that he calls his followers to do the same. And somewhere along the line, church culture set about on its own mission with its own definitions of success. Um, Somewhere along the line, some churches went from being a, a lifeboat that was out in these open waters trying to find and rescue those who were trying to stay afloat. And somewhere along the lines, church culture has been shaped to be more like a cruise ship whose primary task was to keep those already on board uh, comfortable, entertained, content. And that, that might sound harsh and overly critical, and it, it probably is, and there's, there's definitely exceptions to that, but if, if you just look momentarily uh, at, at church budgets, where churches spend their money, where they focus their resources, um, most of the money and energy is focused inward. Um, and despite all of that, this is really the tragedy, despite all that effort and energy and resources to keep the membership happy and comfortable, churches are in decline in, retard, in regards to attendance and giving. So despite the fact that the mission of, the, of churches has been, like, keep the people that are already here content, happy, and, and, and you know, comfortable, churches are still declining. People are still leaving. So it's easy to turn our attention to our own needs. I want to throw this slide up on the screen. Uh, some of you, may, this may look familiar. Um, I'll explain what it is. Um, I showed this back before Hope and First Church merged together. Um, this is from the, the Nazarene um, website. They have a, a, a database that compiles data, historical data. Um, this is our Sunday morning worship attendance at First Church. Uh, on the left side of the screen is 1990, and then on the right side of the screen is, is 2021. Um, this is pre-merge, so that like our, our friends that have joined us from Hope Church, it's not reflected in this. Um, I said a moment ago that despite our best efforts, culture, church's best efforts to care for its membership and make the church a place that people want to, to stay, uh, it's declining. Um, that is our story. Um, the high point there is around 2000, and that was about 165, maybe, uh, 1999, 165 on a Sunday morning. Um, and you can kind of see the bumps and all that. Um, we're down, the bottom dots there are like 65, 70 is where we were in 2019, 2020. Um, and I share that not to mess with anybody's head, not to point fingers or anything, but to say... Um, it would be real easy for us to get caught up as this is our mission. 
to turn the numbers the other way, um, to, to do a better job of, of taking care of the people that are already in here to make um, people here more comfortable or happier. Um, and well, we can take that off the screen. I don't want to mess with too many people for too long. Um, go ahead and take that down. Um, <clears throat> before we get too caught up on our own situation, um, I mean, it, we can't just keep doing what we've been doing. I think that becomes apparent. Um, but before we get too caught up on our own situation, I want to turn our attention back to the conversation I had with my hairstylist. Actually, uh, I want to rewind before the conversation I had with the hairstylist. The, the conversation I had with the district superintendent when he called me about Battle Creek First Church, when I first started doing homework uh, about this community. Um, I want to share with you the, the slide. It's a screenshot of an article. It's the first thing I searched at Battle Creek um, this is the, the first thing I read after I got off the phone with our district superintendent back in 2020. Uh, financial news site ranks Battle Creek as nation's second worst place to raise children. Um, the factors, if you, if you had the article and went, read through it, they list off a few reasons for coming to that conclusion. Uh, the number one was that preschool enrollment is only 16%. 16% of the kids in Battle Creek attend some sort of preschool program. That's really low, by the way. Um, high school graduation rate is 74.9, so basically 75%. Three out of every four kids graduate. Uh, one out of every four doesn't graduate from high school. Um, violent crime is another factor. They have this <coughs> formula that they f figure out. So for every 100,000 residents, there's 746 violent crimes, um, which is one of the highest in the nations. They list off poverty as a factor. Um, that was the first article I read. Um, but then I found some reports that said cost of living is, is less in Battle Creek. Like things are more affordable here. Um, that housing is some of the lowest in the Midwest. And then one of the other reports I read said that the median age of Battle Creek, of the residents there, the median age uh, is 36 years old, which I thought was surprisingly low. So the picture that I came away with uh, as I was exploring the option of coming to Battle Creek to be the pastor, uh, the picture that I got was that there was young families trying to navigate financial realities while also trying to raise their families and make sure that their kids get a decent education. Um, that was the, the picture I got. Well, so as, as you know, we packed up our moving van and we came, that was, felt like the backdrop of what our church was, was sitting in. There's these young families trying to navigate these financial realities and raise their families and looking for help to get a good education for their, for their children. And I knew that our little church couldn't fix every problem, and I, I knew that we could partner with young parents as they worked to raise their families. Part of what encouraged me in this was First Kids Learning Center right across the parking lot was already at work doing this. Um, you know, 16% of, of kids are in preschool, and I think the rest of them are on the waiting list to get in uh, over at First Kids. I, it's, it's a demand uh, a need in the community that's, that's there's a demand there. But First Kids Learning Center was already at work doing this. Uh, one of the first things I did when I got here was started a young adults 
connect group. Um, we didn't put an age group on it, but it was like young folks come. If you're raising kids or thinking about raising kids or whatever, like it's be a time to connect with some others. Um, emphasis on children's ministry. It's required some changes and we're still not where we want to be. Um, the merger with hope was intended to help with this mission too. Anyways, the, I, the idea was that like this is the backdrop. And as a pastor, I take the church's mission very seriously. If those are the needs of our community, then the church that gathers in that community should be about helping. As the hairstylist who has no theological background, no Christian formation, seemed to instinctively know that if Jesus' people are there, it should get better. And I take this very seriously because right now there are men and women searching YouTube for marriage advice because they don't know where else to turn. They're watching videos on their phone trying to figure out how to save their family, how to save their marriage. On YouTube, whatever the best result comes up is. Right now, there are grandparents providing childcare for their kids because they're, for their grandkids because their kids can't find or afford uh, childcare. Right now, there are people choosing to buy groceries or to pay the phone bill or the electric bill. Right now, there are, are people who are reading inspirational memes on Instagram or Facebook trying to find enough encouragement to get through the day because they don't know where else to turn. Instagram, Facebook is their source of encouragement and source of life to get through the day. Right now, there are kids who don't know what it feels like to be safe at home. Right now, there are people who need us to see them the way that Jesus sees them. They need us to be the church that God has called us to be and not the church which is easiest or most comfortable. Our community needs us to use our gifts, our resources, and abilities to bless them. And that's not just like make life wonderful for them, make them happy. It's to, to care for them, to nurture them, to support them. There's people that need to know that the answers they are looking for are not found in their bank account. It's not found in a bottle. It's not found in a job title. It's not found in the number of likes on social media or anything else the world has to offer. That the, They need to know that the answers they are looking for are found in Jesus. And only a church with the mind of Christ can share this godly wisdom. The smartest people in the world that are outside the church were never going to come to the conclusion that Jesus is the answer. This is something that has been revealed to the church and the church alone. This is the message of the church. This is the mission of the church. Only a church that sees the world the way that Jesus sees the world can offer healing and salvation through the crucified Jesus. So what are we supposed to do? <laughs> like, I have shared a whole bunch of bad news. Battle Creek's got some tough things going on. Our church attendance has been in decline for two decades, pretty much. Um, what are we supposed to do about their problems? How do we do that? Well, today is the first Sunday of the month. And a big part of the first Sunday of the month is we take communion. And so the response initially uh, is to take communion, to receive communion. What that means is to receive the body and the blood of Christ that is broken and shed for you. The wisdom of the world is not going to come up with grape juice in a cup and a little wafer as the answer to anything. That's strictly a Christian wisdom thing. 
But today we're going to receive the communion, receive the body and blood of Christ which is broken and shed for you. Because in that there's healing, in that there's grace and mercy. Um, And then the invitation is for us to become communion. To become the body of Christ broken for others. To be that little bit of nourishment that goes out into the world and feeds and encourages and brings life to those who need it. And so we receive communion, but then we become communion. And the, the timing of, of a conversation I had with Pastor Will this week was just Im, uh, impeccable. He came up to me on Thursday and said, I really want to get an outbound communion program going. I want to start getting communion into people's hands and mouths that can't come and be with us. People who are in the hospital, people who are homebound, I want to get communion there. And so <clears throat> we talked about that for a little bit. And if that's something that, like, you think you would be interested in participating in. Will's not trying to do this himself. He's trying to get a group of people that, that sees that as a ministry and outreach. So if that's something you're interested in, be praying about that. There'll be more info about that to come. Honestly, we don't even have the details put together on all that yet. But that's one of the first steps, is to get the, the grace that comes from receiving God's salvation through the broken body of Christ. And we said it a moment ago, Battle Creek should look more like the kingdom of God because First Church gathers here. And so we could list off a bunch of programs, activities, and all kinds of things we could do. We could take up special offerings to support organizations and community, and there'll be times for that. But today, I just want us to remember what we are as the body of Christ. We're people that have received the mind of Christ. We have been given the wisdom of God. We are the people that believe the broken body of Jesus is the answer. They're not going to get that anywhere else. Battle Creek should look more like the kingdom of God because we are here. And so today we're going we're to receive communion. This isn't something we came up with. This is an idea that, you know, some pastor a while ago came up with. This is something that was instituted by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's an announcement of his life, of his suffering, of his death, and his resurrection, and the hopes of his coming again. So through this gift of grace, King Jesus is present with us here this morning through the Spirit. And so this symbolic representative meal is to be received with gratitude in response to what King Jesus has done for us and ultimately what he will do in the end. So anyone who hears this story about King Jesus and is seeking the healing and the salvation that Jesus provides is welcome at this table. If you are looking for grace and mercy, you are welcome to find it at the table this morning. And so we come to the table that we we may be renewed in life and salvation, that we may be made one in the spirit. (coughs) And so it's in unity with sisters and brothers in Christ all around the globe, we confess our faith that Christ has died, he's risen, and he will come again. So I ask you to join me in prayer this morning as we prepare ourselves to receive uh, this meal of remembrance.
Holy God, we gather at this your table in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, who by your Spirit was anointed to preach good news to the poor, proclaim release to the captives, set at liberty those who are oppressed. Christ healed the sick, he fed the hungry, he ate with sinners, he established the new covenant of forgiveness of sins. And so we live in the hope of his coming again. Father, on the very night in which Jesus was betrayed by one of his own, he took bread, he gave thanks, he broke the bread, and he gave it to his disciples. He said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, when that supper was over, he took the cup, he gave thanks, and he gave it to his disciples. He said, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. And so, Father, as we gather today as the body of Christ to offer ourselves to you in praise and thanksgiving, we pray that you would pour out your spirit on us and these your gifts. Make them, by the power of your spirit, to be for us the body and blood of Christ, so that we may be for the world the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood. By your spirit, make us one in Christ, one with each other, and one in the ministry of Christ to all the world until Christ comes in final victory. It's in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit we pray. Amen. Amen. Now I'm going to invite you to pray with me um, a prayer. It'll be on the screen. It's known as the Lord's Prayer. Um, some may know it as our Father. Um, when somebody asked Jesus, how do we pray? This is what he taught them. And so before we receive communion today, I want us to pray together um, this prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. We have that on the, the screen, Evie. There we go. Are we ready? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. In a moment, um, you'll receive a little bit of bread. This represents the body of our Lord Jesus Christ, broken for you. We pray that it preserves you blameless unto everlasting life. May you eat it in remembrance that Christ died for you and be grateful. You'll also receive a little cup with some grape juice in it. This represents the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, which was shed for you. May it preserve you blameless unto everlasting life. May you drink it in remembrance that Christ died for you and be thankful.